Okay, everybody, welcome back to Honestly Bilal. I'm joined again by Dr. Tim Steinman. He's a cornea specialist at Metro Health in Cleveland. He also has a privilege of teaching the residents at the Cole Eye Institute. Um, so he's an educator, he's an advocator, he's a cornea specialist, he's an ophthalmologist, he's a surgeon, he's an inventor. Uh, so he's done a great range of things and I'm happy to be with him. My name is Bilal Ahmed. I'm a fourth year medical student at the University of Toledo. Uh, I'm going to be applying for residency in ophthalmology this upcoming fall. And this show, honestly, Bilal, is for people who are aspiring to be ophthalmologists, who are current ophthalmologists, or who are training in ophthalmology. So or I'm trying to connect a community to get together on this platform. So I'm happy to be with Dr. Steinman. So Dr. Steinman, welcome. Thanks, Bilal. I'm glad to be here and uh, be happy to talk about any of those things. I think it's um, a pretty important time for all of your viewers. I mean, it's an exciting time, but understand that this is only a small segment in time for all of you. Sure. And you, if throughout the course of your careers, you will all wear many, many hats. And maybe I can share some stories and shed some light on that from my personal experience. Sure. And you were, you were telling me a little earlier, something I did not know about you is that when you were applying for medical school, you, you took the MCAT and you weren't really happy with your performance. So in between medical school and taking the MCAT, you started a PhD program and you were also, also a, a te teaching high school students. So talk about that experience. Well, I mean, I had to take the MCAT again, and I had kind of uh, basically a, a year, and uh, I started in a PhD program in physiology. Mm -hmm. I soon found that, uh, again, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. I mean, I was picking up some courses. Um, I like people. I, I did not really envision myself kind of hanging out in a lab and uh, being competitive for grants the rest of my professional life, and so... Um, there was a Catholic school in town that needed a biology teacher. I had no teaching experience, but again, as I mentioned the last time, I had some really great teachers. Mm -hmm. So I applied and got the job. I was, I was teaching high school when I got into medical school. Wow. And then what was that? Did that experience kind of shape how you became a teacher and educator today? Did you, did you feel like that was, I know you, you know, naturally it's like you're the, you, you like, you're a patient person with yourself or you're patient with other people. So did that experience kind of form how, your interest in teaching at all? It did. And as I said, you know, uh, as we were talking about, yeah, I'm, I'm probably more patient with other people than I am with myself. I'm naturally impatient mm -hmm. with my own inabilities to do this or do that, or certainly in terms of the learning curve of surgery or whatever, I, I, it's frustrating for me. Sure. And I'm not a quick study on stuff. I'll be the first to say that. Mm -hmm. But I, at the same time, maybe because I recognize that, and also I'm thinking about this time of year, you know, hey, it's July, Mm -hmm. And I've got uh, a whole bunch of cases next week with yeah. a bunch of brand new surgeons. Right. Um, it, it's going to be challenging, but it's fun because, yeah. again, you watch that progress yeah. and it's amazing progress throughout the year. So I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, did teaching high school kind of prepare me for this? I certainly had no idea what I was going to do mm -hmm. when I was doing that. I never, I never really envisioned that I'd be, you know, teaching residents or what have you, but Right. Uh, in any case, it was helpful. I mean, I think I grew up a lot. I learned to basically learn to kind of, to kind of put myself in there, meaning the students shoes. Sure. Um, I certainly grew up a lot learning to parents who maybe weren't so happy with what I was achieving or how their, their 
their child was achieving with me. Right, right. I was, I was kind of tough as a teacher when I think back on it. Yeah. I was I was teaching mostly college prep, uh, high school students, mostly uh, freshmen and sophomores sure. uh, at a Catholic school, and um, I was kind of a tough teacher I, in retrospect. I mean, I, I if they didn't earn it, I didn't give it to them. Oh, wow. Okay. Good to know. But uh, you, you lay down the law and hopefully they're all doing well now in their own respective careers. But. Well, I think so. And, and same thing with, with teaching residents or, or medical students. Sure. I mean, it's just, I hate to say it, you're all big kids. Yeah. Yeah. We try to be. <laughs> and um, it's, it's an important part of the whole process and things don't happen for everybody immediately, everybody mm -hmm. in their own time. Right. And so, again, it's going to happen. And I know it's going to happen. And I know that the residents and the students know it's going to happen. And, and likewise to your viewers, all this, it's going to turn out fine. You may not think so at the time, right? but it's going to be great. Sure. So, you know, you touched on surgery and so, I know surgery is a big part of ophthalmology and, and it's a big part of your, your routine as a professional. You've been doing it for for decades now. And so just talk about how surgery, you know, that learning curve of surgery when you started off or what, how, how important surgery is in your, your professional life now and, and what, what do you like about it? What are some challenges about it and how it's been important for cornea specifically? Sure. I mean, um, first of all, I will say I am probably not your typical ophthalmologist. And though I'm cornea trained, I am not your typical cornea specialist. And again, know yourself, know your personality, know your strengths, know what really excites you and what doesn't excite you so much. Right. All I'm saying is this, that surgery, no matter what we do, most people that choose ophthalmology will do some form of surgery. Mm -hmm. And even as a cornea fellowship trained person, yeah, I do some cornea work. I mostly do cataract surgery. Sure. So I'm mostly a general ophthalmologist with fellowship training and cornea. But, and I do some corneal transplants, mm -hmm. certainly no more than one or two a week. Right. And that would be a very busy week for me. Mm -hmm. um, again, my, my setting for doing all this is, is not typical. I work at a county hospital mm -hmm. primarily, and I work at a private office uh, part-time. Right. Metro Health is a level one trauma center. Right. And so it is a very atypical place to to practice ophthalmology. We have a very yeah. busy eye clinic. That's where I work with the Cole residents. Right. And um, with, that's basically where they learn how to do surgery, largely with who? Me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's a great experience. Um, lots and lots of trauma, lots sure. and lots of traumatic cataracts, Sure. lots and lots of people who have literally abused their eyes yeah. for a number of reasons. I think it's appropriate that we talk about this. Hey, it's July 4th and I'm on call today. Yeah. My least favorite holiday. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry about that. So, I mean, th this is the kind of stuff that most people do not like taking care of. I'm perfectly happy to take care of. Right. And th that kind of harkens back to Gary Wurtz's program on about, about what, is, what is it that you're good at or what do sure. you have a knack for? Mm -hmm. And I would go one step further. What do you do that you are willing to do mm -hmm. what what do you like to do yeah um, and you know what throughout it all it's it, it, it is it is kind of cool to think you might be willing to do stuff that other people wouldn't get near yeah that's true it, it's it's a cottage trade it's cottage industry it's a niche industry in eye care 
-hmm. Most people I realize don't really like to do what I do when I go to work at a trauma hospital, yeah. but it's okay. That's what I do. Right. And I like it. And I like working with the residents. Yeah. And it's amazing. Sometimes you get great results. Sometimes you don't, sure. but even in a private office, sometimes you don't get great results, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, you talk about, you talked about, you know, finding what you're good at and staying true to yourself and, and that concept of having that personal brand. Uh, Dr. Wirtz is, is somebody who I've had the pleasure of meeting and I, I met him just recently a couple of weeks ago. He's going to be on Honesty Ball in, in a few days. And, you know, they, they had a great episode off the grid about that personal brand. And what is your take on having that brand and, and sticking to your voice and stick to your talents and, and finding what you're good at to make, uh, make a difference in, in your own way? What is your take on that? Um, well, again, to your viewers, we're all good at something mm -hmm. and we all have unique uh, experiences that we bring. Sure. And that's important when you're even talking in, in an interview setting here, maybe in a few weeks or months. Right. But for the course of your career, again, I, I, I didn't, when I think about it personally, I, I didn't really envision the fact that I taught high school or that I, I mean, I'm working at a trauma hospital. It's a public eye clinic. Mm -hmm. Well, it wasn't a big stretch. I mean, uh, my wife and I, we, we we went to school at a different time, but I mean, we were public school all the way. I never went to, until I went to college, I went to a small private college, but right. otherwise public school all the way. So it's not a big stretch. Yeah. It doesn't bother me at all. You know, now some people have made, some people may demand the control and the level of care that is rendered only in a private setting. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Again, find what you like, find what you're willing to do. Most importantly to your viewers, uh, about anything, uh, you know, find a passion or maybe it'll find you. Yeah. Small advocacy kind of found me. But right. what I would say is find a void and fill it. Sure, sure. I mean, for me, I feel like this is this show, this podcast, it's been something I naturally have found. Like I've always loved talking to people and boom, now it is something I enjoy for for, for others too. So I feel like that's what you're talking about. And, and importantly, you touched on advocacy. And the last time we talked about it, and part of the reason we're doing this episode, because we have so much to talk about that it had to be more than one episode. But when you talk about advocacy, talk a little bit more about what you advocate for. What is, your, what is, what is it that your role is as an advocate, especially for the American Academy of Ophthalmology or in general? So when you say you're an advocate, what do you mean by that? Um, an advocate is, again, somebody who, all of us can be advocates because we're all educated. We all can make a reasoned opinion and offer recommendations and teaching, not only to our patients, but to the general public. And that's where you advocate for policy. And the American Academy is largely an advocacy organization. It's a nonprofit, they are educational, they are advocacy, they are practice management. But first of all, they're a wonderful organization mm -hmm. and they helped me immeasurably to kind of find my voice in advocacy. Mm -hmm. But what is it that I do? Um, we, we decided, again, safe, eye safety, contact lenses. I mean, we were seeing people coming through the emergency room that were abusing contact lenses, getting contact lenses. Most of your viewers will probably know about these so-called cosmetic or colored contact lenses. Sure. The FDA calls them decorative contact lenses now. Uh -huh. But basically, they were the, the, the classification of those lenses was ambiguous. Meaning right. that the FDA didn't have a categorization for them. Sure. Likewise, kids were getting them over the counter at beauty parlors and costume huh. stores, flea markets, even gas stations were selling them. Huh. I did a corneal transplant on a 14-year-old who got pseudomonas in her eye. Oh my God. A lot of these lenses are sold 
contraband, they are counterfeit, they are not even sterile. They're obtained a lot of times cheaply from overseas mm -hmm. and sold as merchandise, particularly very popular around Halloween time, right. popular with you know cos cosplay and anime and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we kept seeing this through the emergency room. I said, this has got to stop. Yeah. We're going to do something about it. Yeah. You know, kind of the old saying, there ought to be a law. Yeah. We made a law. <laughs> right. It took us almost three years to do it. Sure. We got a federal law passed to, to categorize all contact lenses wow. as medical devices, right. meaning that it doesn't matter if the lens is sold for correction, which most people, of course, wear it for correction, mm -hmm. or if it's sold for fun or cosmetic. Mm -hmm. um, it's a medical device. You cannot sell it legally without the FDA vetting it, without a eye care professional prescribing it, fitting right. it, instructing sure. you, and following up. Okay. And so that took about three years to do that. We got a federal law passed. It's an amendment to the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act. Yeah. And that's just, that initiative came from you finding a problem and you just Me. take the initiative to say, I want to fix the problem. I mean, you had the platform to do it, but you just said, I'm done and I'm going to do something about it. So, well, I mean, like I say, sometimes these things, I want to emphasize to your viewers, sometimes these things find you. Yeah. I, I certainly didn't set out to do this, mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is have an open mind. And again, as you go through this whole process, yeah. Um, be open to stuff yeah because it, it's a big wide world out there and, and there's a lot of really to me this was incredibly fun working with people yeah and building a policy team right i mean we had literally help from hundreds of people sure sure lobbying and and putting this together and it, it, it's not quick you got to be patient mm -hmm. you got to have help mm -hmm. um and it wasn't just the american academy of ophthalmology we had lots of people locally, statewide, federally, to kind of make all this happen. Absolutely. But um, it, it was very cool. I learned a lot more about the United States government than I ever yeah. learned in any civics class in high school. Uh -huh. <laughs> but it's good. I think the thing is there, though, is that you still stay true to your brain. I mean, you stay, you stay true to your, your skill set, and you said, well, I can do something here. I actually have the professional, uh, you know, uh, the professional expertise to kind of speak on behalf of why this is a problem that we should fix. And I think that's something encouraging for me and for others who are aspiring to be in ophthalmology that we can still always use our, our angle and our, our unique talents to promote change at that level. Um, so that's pretty interesting to think about. It, it absolutely is critical. And like, as I said the last time, don't sell yourself short. And I'm, I'm saying this to all your viewers, right? You guys are well-educated. You can, you can have a, an intelligent conversation with anyone about a lot of topics. And if you don't, somebody else who is less well-informed and less well-reasoned right. will fill that void. Absolutely. And, and, and going from there, you mentioned um, last time and you just mentioned it again, you've mentioned the, the strengths that my generation has, the things that we, you know, current trainees or aspiring trainees that we, we have compared to previous generations that, uh, you know, our skills, but you recognize that there are also challenges that we face. So touch on you, what you see as challenges for my generation and what do you think that we should think twice about um, for what we should try to overcome as we go forward. Um, th this is where my gray hair takes over. And, um, you know, I mean, my wife and I have been together since college. We have a daughter. Um, she's a big kid now. But um, what I would say is that and by the way, I, I will reference, uh, there was a nice editorial in JAMA about mentoring millennials. 
Mm -hmm. I highly recommend it. And we'll, we'll try to find that article and post it. But we'll tweet it the out. point is that um, sometimes, to me, it seems as a gray hair that millennials want to do everything by message. And sometimes it's appropriate. And you know what? Sometimes it isn't. Mm -hmm. It's challenging. If you've got something kind of sensitive, uh, please don't text it. Please don't even email it. Right. Pick up the phone or better yet, come see me. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. There's an art of conversation that maybe is kind of dwindling away and we still should carry that forward because ultimately the human beings connect. So. Right. Yeah. So you, you touched on the challenges we face. You touched on the strengths that we chase, uh, that we face. Um, going forward, you know, a lot of people are looking at ophthalmology programs and they're looking for places that, you know, some people look at rankings, some people look at prestige, some people look at research output. What do you think is a very global message that you want to get across to applicants this year about what to look for in a program? Because you mentioned to me that you have to find a program that fits you and your goals and touch on that a little bit. Well, exactly that. I mean, this is where it gets tricky. And, and of course, all of you, meaning all of your, re, uh, your viewers know this, that this is an extraordinary year or however long it takes to get through the pandemic. You can't get that feel, that gut feeling mm -hmm. as well, in my opinion, when you're doing things virtually. That's really, really hard. Right. And that's a once again, that's a challenge for all of you for this year with the application process. Where do you fit? A lot of times it's just your gut tells you. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be tough. Yeah. But fit, fit is important. Right. Um, taking advice from other people, talk to as many people as you can is important. Yeah. Rankings, well, I take it with a grain of salt. It's not all about rankings. It's not right. all about prestige. Right. Um, I feel strongly about it because I really feel like there are a variety of excellent programs. Mm -hmm. And you know what? When it comes right down to it, and I'm, I'm speaking on me, on, on my own memory of this. Yeah. Cause this is, and I believe strongly in this, but I will tell you, uh, your viewers, it's all about me. And mm -hmm. to your viewers, it's all about you. Mm -hmm. Nobody, nobody can determine your success other than you. Yeah. And, and maybe some programs are better than others about, about bringing that success to bear. Mm -hmm. But ultimately you can, be successful in a variety of different settings. Sure. And it, it's, it's all about you and your determination, your grit. Mm -hmm. Cause I really feel that's a huge part of success in medical school, in residency training and fellowship training. Heck, sure. I, I think it's a big part of the success in, 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 in practice and establishing yeah. a practice. Right. And I think, I, and, and that's something I really want to bring you back for and that you want to come back for is talk about, is grit, determination, facing doubts. Um, you know, a big part of this show is to talk about those things because uh, we all fight uphill battles and especially not just in medicine, but also in our lives at, at, at transition points like this. And and I know that you were doubted early in your career. You've had people say things to you that I'll let you talk about, but <laughs> you've, had, you've, had, you've had doubters, you've had uh, naysayers, yep. and you've used grit, you've used determination, you've used certain circumstances even to yeah. overcome those situations. So touch on that. It's, it's really so true. Um, I mean, we're all survivors. Let's face it. Um, right. If you've been through medical school, I think I told you about this, Bilal. Somebody said is they, they posted a rhetorical question this morning on Twitter. Yeah. And they said, uh, who's been through medical training and has never been yelled at? 
Uh -huh. uh, I thought to myself, I didn't answer it. I thought nobody. <laughs> right, right. Yep, absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of naysayers, and, and not that it's a big deal to get yelled at or to be corrected. Look, embrace it. Right. We all make mistakes. It's really okay, you know. Yeah. Um, and but on the other hand, on the flip side, on the ridiculous extreme, you yeah, there. Look, we're all survivors. You know what? A lot of people in the medical community. There's a lot of toxic people right <laughs> yeah that's true there's a lot of naysayers very right true. very true um i'm and i'm i'll give you a, a personal remembrance it's still with me 36 years later yeah uh somebody well first of all somebody said don't apply to ophthalmology i said why not well you're not aoa and you won't get in unless you're aoa mm -hmm. that's the dumbest bit of advice now granted a lot of people that do apply to ophthalmology are aoa mm -hmm. But to say that you should not apply to something right. that you think that you like, yeah, just because you're not AOA, that's 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 bad advice in my right. opinion. Right. Um, other other naysayers. I mean, some guys said, "Well, you're a you're a, a mediocre student at a weak medical school." Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. Tell me what you really feel. Right. Yeah. Um, like at all. <laughs> I mean, to me, that was rocket fuel. Yeah. You tell me something, and I am going to absolutely make it work for me. And that's what I'm saying to your viewers, make yep. it work for you. Yep. I think that's important. I, I feel like we've all been in a position where we've had those things said to us and we just want to say, all right, now my foot's down. Now I'm not turning back. And you have to use that fuel. Not turning back. I'm yeah. not giving up. Yeah. I'm going to find a way to make this happen. Absolutely. And I know that I can do it. Sure. Sure. And I think that's what those sorts of doubts can fuel a fire that will come, that becomes greater than anything you can imagine sometimes. And you can become even better. Well, as I said, I, I, you take a negative and you make it a positive. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if somebody's going to be a jerk and say something just kind of, in my opinion, kind of idiotic. Yeah. Well, I mean, granted. Yeah. I mean, there are things that are, the reality is, no, I didn't go to a, a, a top 40 NIH medical school. Neither do you. Yep. <laughs> but that doesn't mean Sorry. anything. <laughs> sure. In, in my opinion, that doesn't mean necessarily anything. That doesn't mean that you can't have a satisfying career right. or, a, or a residency in ophthalmology. Sure. Um, what else can I say? Um, I, I tend to be sometimes a little bit of a reductionist. Yeah. But I, I will tell you what I, I've told students over the years. Mm -hmm. And I think it's good advice. That is, there are a variety of different programs, some of which are not, many of which are, that are not prestigious. They don't have pre prestigious faculty. They don't have people that have millions of dollars at NIH grants. Mm -hmm. That's okay. Yeah. But the most important thing, key element that we all need is hands-on experience. Right. So if you find a place and your viewers find a place that has that key element, mm -hmm. A community hospital, yeah, a a county hospital, sure, a VA hospital, right. Things, you know, the table is set with proper supervision. Mm -hmm. You will get that hands-on. You will have the autonomy, and this kind of goes back to the self-confidence. You know, step out of your comfort zone, mm -hmm. and you will have that, and that's part of your skill set building. And that, that basically sets the stage for a, a very satisfying career. So that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And, and we, you and I touched on earlier, we were talking about before we got on here a little bit about, uh, you know, 
burnout and, and how people are, are asking on Twitter, how do they overcome burnout? And you and I touched on this just in conversation that we were talking about how doubts, overcoming doubts leads to self-confidence, self-confidence leads to resilience and resilience leads to less burnout and, and something that we both agree on. And, and I yeah. absolutely agree with that. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert in this. Um, are there days that I do feel tired and, and weary? Sure. Yeah. Am I burned out? I don't think I'm really burned out. I'm just sometimes just tired. Right. But I yeah. still I still have enthusiasm. Why? Yeah. Again, I, I really believe in that concept of being um, taking the next step, um, trying things that maybe you're afraid to try. Yeah. It, again, nothing succeeds like success. If you can be successful at something that you initially didn't want to do, mm -hmm. it leads to self-confidence, what it leads to. It also leads right. to self-directedness, yeah. self-confidence and self-directedness. Um, are highly, um, they're, they're large factors in avoiding burnout amongst medical professionals. Right, right. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of when someone doubts you or if you fall down in the initial stage of your career that it's, it's the best thing sometimes for you too. So right. I wanted to touch on your background from where you grew up. You, you mentioned to me um, over phone uh, last week that you, know, you, you grew up in Sandusky, Ohio, which for people who don't know, um, that's just an hour from Toledo. And then that actually influenced you to come to the University of Toledo. And then you also were interested in pediatrics before you switched ophthalmology. So talk about that to finish up. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a middle child. I'm one of three boys. Um, my younger brother was born with a congenital heart defect. He had a ventricular septal defect. Mm -hmm. So my parents and I, we, we were all, we'd all, all make the trip lots, lots and lots of times to come right. to Cleveland to go to Rainbow Babies and Children's uh -huh. uh, when my younger brother was a baby. Yeah, and uh, he ended up having open heart surgery when he was probably eight or nine years old. But I mean, I kind of grew up with that. Nobody mm -hmm. in my family's in medicine, but I think I always thought that well, I'll become a pediatrician. Sure. Well, uh, meanwhile, get into medical school. Uh, medical schools in Toledo. Yeah. Uh, Sandusky is halfway between Toledo and Cleveland. Right. And um, so then I did pediatrics. It was I saved it for the last clerkship of my third year. Uh -huh. And you know what? I just hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I hated making kids cry. I hated making kids cry. And there's some element of luck or, or just bad luck or just, I don't know, just chance here. Yeah. I, did, I did and got assigned to all of my rotation at the main hospital, meaning uh, at that time, MCO's main hospital. Yeah. So I saw no, no, really no well baby care at all. I saw all these heartbreaking things. I said, I can't stand this. It's yeah. just awful. Yeah, you know, kids, uh, kids with cancer, kids on ventilators, yeah. kids with renal failure, yeah. kids with organ transplants, kids that have been phys physically abused, kids that have been sexually abused. Yeah. At the end of the rotation, I said, "Forget it, I'm not doing this." Yeah. So then that that fueled you to kind of find ophthalmology through a friend, and that decision became the best thing that ever happened to you. That's right. The uh, good friend of the class ahead of me, he's now a practicing ophthalmologist in Canton, Ohio. Uh huh. But um, he said, you know, you really ought to think about taking a, a rotation in this. I mean, most medical students, ophthalmology, you, you don't get much exposure. Right. Uh, we, I'm thinking back to exposure. We had a, we had a visual pathways uh, lecture right at the end of the second year. And yeah. it was about an hour and a half lecture. Uh -huh. That was it. Right. And that's more neuro, if anything, I guess, too. So That's right. Yeah. And well, um, I, I'm thinking about my third year. I think they gave us a month of vacation. So instead of taking a vacation, right. I, I did ophthalmology. Yeah. I'm glad I did because if, I, if again, truly, uh, that's, 
my, my friend in the class ahead of me, hey, Paul, you gave me the best advice I've ever had in my yeah, life. Absolutely. And, and, and you took initiative during a vacation period, which I also think says a lot because it takes initiative like that. It takes driving far. It takes emailing out. It takes that when you don't have a position where you are set up to maybe have those opportunities more fortunately at your disposal, then you have to make them happen. So even that was something I didn't know about until just now. But, you know, the fact that you use your vacation time, you know, I think that says a lot as well. Well, I mean, you keep looking again, keep, keep looking and and keep um, trying to ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. And and a a lot of it, again, kind of comes back to what excites you. Yeah. Um, Have enough self-awareness and then likewise have enough situational awareness to know kind of your strengths and what really is interesting to you and how, how you fit into that situation. Sure. Well, Dr. Simon, on this vacation, on this July 4th, it was an honor to sit down with you, talk about those situations, the, these situations where we try to figure out more along the journey. And you've given us all so, so much wisdom and guidance. And I want to thank you one more time for joining me. And I look forward to having you as a guest again in the future and then hopefully meeting uh, in person next time. Thanks, Bilal. It's, it's always a pleasure. And as I said, think of it as a journey. My wife is the, the best advocate for that type of thinking. Life yeah. is a journey. You're not going to be happy when you right. get your residency. You right. will be happy if you choose to be happy. It's a journey. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. And, and I, I can tell you this, I'm enjoying this journey right now. I'm enjoying everything I'm, that we're having these many guests and people who are willing to share their journeys. So look forward to continue this one and uh, with your guidance as well. Thank you. All right. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Bye-bye. Be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to Honestly Bilal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or if you'd like to watch on the YouTube channel, you can watch these interviews in their video format. You can find me on Instagram at Honestly Bilal and on Twitter at Bilal underscore 1712. Be sure to check out future chats coming up with medical students, residents, and ophthalmologists in the field today.